A soggy Silverstone posted what we'd hoped would be another exciting race under drying conditions. The crowd was poised for the potential perilous pirouettes of even their British pole sitter. The race started for a second time this season behind the safety car as the water on track was deemed too wet to form a standing grid. Eventually, the circulation of a field on full wet compound tires wept the standing water away and the safety car pulled off track. Lewis Hamilton, who started on pole, pulled away from his teammate in second position. Nico Rosberg was caught in the superior clutches of the more efficient Red Bull chassis that followed him. The top four stayed out as a safety car pulled in, but most behind dove into the pits for intermediates. Pascal Wehrlein shortly thereafter spun and landed in a position that saw the double yellow flags increased to a virtual safety car. The lead pack was fortunate enough to be approaching pit entry and all stopped for intermediate tires. After a few laps pestering the championship leader, Max Verstappen finally overtook Rosberg on the outside as they headed into Chapel and onto the hangar straight. The German had caught a damp section on the inside of the Beckett's complex. However, Max didn't so much pull away from Nico after the field followed the Ferraris in installing fresh, medium-compound soft tires on a circuit that would soon prove to be dry enough but awfully hazardous. After quite a few laps with soft tires under his feet, Nico Rosberg then made a move stick on Max Verstappen into Vale and began to pull away in quest of Lewis Hamilton. Nico then found himself stuck in seventh gear, again going around Vale, before Mercedes frantically radioed their driver. Rosberg was told not to use seventh anymore, and thankfully for Toto, Rosberg held off Verstappen for another Mercedes 1-2 finish. However, Nico and Mercedes are currently under investigation for the radio messages. Mercedes will argue it was to stop a retirement. So that was the British Grand Prix review, but we missed two more Grand Prix. So should we backtrack and then make our way back to this British Grand Prix? I mean, Baku was quite boring, so we can just go through it quite quickly, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. It's going to be like five Um, minutes. Hamilton hits the wall in Q3. The rest of it was super boring. It's just a bunch of right-angled turns and yeah all the passing was done on the straight so nothing was really interesting or butt clenching yeah it was i didn't get i there was quite a bit of hype going on before we saw the track but in the end it was just another street circuit right nothing too exciting yeah i mean when i first saw the track i thought it looked like a formula e track whenever they released it like a year ago or something Yeah, yeah, yeah the layout yeah but honestly, I mean, I, I don't I don't know if it's going to get better or not. I'm not sure. But um, the thing I like is the scenery. It kind of looked nice with the cars going through the um, buildings, like between the mm-hmm. buildings. That was kind of cool, but the racing itself, yeah. Nothing exciting. And then I was so mad that I switched over from the 24 hours to yeah. Baku. I, mean, I should have just stayed and watched the podiums and all the aftermath of Toyota's car quitting. Yeah, totally. The thing is, um, have you seen the GP2 race before F1? 
like the race just before F1. I've been meaning to watch it, but I guess it was it was super chaotic. There was and so much it, crashing going on and uh, things with the safety car restart didn't work. And so I thought, okay, <laughs> I heard about that and I was like, okay, F1 is going to be entertaining, right? Mm-hmm. But there was nothing going on, like nothing. So, uh, yeah, only GP2 was exciting because of the crashing. And then, yeah, I think the first GP2 race I watched was Monza. And that was really exciting because of all the long straights. So they yeah. were just following and passing and following and passing. And so this was sort of Baku was the first introduction of the team radio restrictions that we saw. Yeah. Um, Lewis Hamilton was in the wrong engine mode. So was Nico Rosberg. The difference was Nico Rosberg was in the right engine mode, then switched it accidentally and then knew where it was supposed to be. So switched it back. Lewis's engine mode failed and he needed to switch it to a different engine mode, but they couldn't tell him which engine mode. So I think he was losing like uh, two tenths a lap, yeah. which isn't that much, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think that he would have gotten much further in the grid than fifth with the right engine mode, no. but still, maybe he like gained one or two places. I guess mm-hmm. one. Yeah. But it was interesting that they just couldn't tell him what to do. And yeah. When Lewis said that, okay, I'm just going to start pushing buttons, right? Uh, I thought mm. that was quite entertaining. Yeah, uh, we don't recommend that. Yeah, that was a very... Very calmly. Yeah, very, very, very uh, a very British answer, I, I'd say, mm. right? Like, uh, we don't recommend that, which probably means Lewis just stop and behave. So then everybody packed up from Asia, from the European Grand Prix, and <laughs> went to a European race in yeah. Austria... Yeah, that's awesome. And Jesse probably knows most about that race. Hamilton finally led the first lap that from starting on pole for the first time all year. He's had a bunch of, and Mercedes in general have had a bunch of crappy starts. Um, what, Rosberg got knocked back for, he had a grid penalty. Um, was it a transmission or a transgression? I forget. Transgression? Yeah, did, did he change the transmission or did he do something bad? I can't remember. Mm-hmm. In any case, yeah. <laughs> Rosberg got knocked back from a penalty. I think he, he got P2, but he, he got knocked back from a, from a penalty. It gave it's probably Jensen, a gearbox or something. I think it was a gearbox, but in any case, so Jensen Button had like two spots in front of himself just to drive forward. So it was mm-hmm. interesting or cool to see Button following uh, Lewis Hamilton through turn one, like, you know, five years back. A little bit of nostalgia, but in any case, and Button's McLaren, it it held up for a couple laps where it was, and it's worth noting that uh, it's Silverstone. It was like seven or nine laps. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's Silverstone. Uh, Alonso ended up with the second fastest lap or third fastest lap, maybe. But in any case, yeah, no, he did. He had the second fastest lap of the race uh, ahead of Hamilton. But then, so a bunch of people started to that looked like they were doing two stops started to pit, and uh, Vettel stayed out. Uh, Vettel eventually inherited the lead, was running, I think he was like three, he, he made it three laps, and then eventually what they revealed is when he ran over a piece of debris, his tire just completely exploded going down the front stretch. If we believe that. Yeah. Oh, you they, think that it could still be, uh, I, what, I, what, what I, I call I them, think the it's Italian tire small. mafia. The uh, exploding tires. Yeah, I mean, they didn't specify Randomly, what spontaneously happened. combusting. Yeah. No, they did. They came back and no, they did in the end. They, they're saying that he hit a piece of debris. 
they're saying that. Yeah, but the, that's the thing. I mean, they couldn't like pinpoint what he hit if, if it was a curb or if it was. Like, oh, okay. So it was like, yeah, they said something exploded, so it must have been debris or, you know, Vettel's fault, pretty <clears> much. So you interpreted it as a different way, Fred. That they're saying something, something happened. We don't yeah. know what, so it must have been okay. Yeah, that's how I see it. But with the way the pit stops work out, okay, worked out during that race, then Rosberg inadvertently by okay, so Mercedes is trying to cover Ferrari, and with Lewis Hamilton, which leaves Rosberg a little bit of strategy room, which ends up putting him out in front of Hamilton with the way the pit stops worked out, and that's the way like that at that point right there. That seemed to be, uh, at Austria, like, it kind of settled down. The cars seemed to have their their pace, and it didn't seem like a lot was going to happen until something did at the end. Um, and then you had the collision, you know, eventually the rest of the race is afterthought when you get up to the collision. <laughs> yeah. So, so let, I just want to talk about the, strat- the Mercedes strategy real quick, because that was sort of a piece of contention and i'm not sure where we all stand on team orders okay so anyway lewis hamilton was out defending against vettel so lewis hamilton went long on his whatever he started with ultra soft soft. tires super soft ultra soft the because vettel was doing that so he was going to pit right after vettel pitted in order to cover vettel what happened was rossberg pitted earlier and then was on fresher tires and could go faster. Um, so he caught up before Hamilton took his pit stop. Vettel crashed. Hamilton took his pit stop. Rosberg was then in the lead. And then, did they two stop or one stop? Uh, two stop. Two stop. Yeah. I can't remember when they stopped the second. Anyway, so they both. I think it they were was on the same tire. The they 50s. came in. Yeah. Lab yeah. Lab 55 um, or something. Yeah. So Rosberg's in the lead. Rosberg comes in for super soft, super soft side tires with like yeah. 12 laps to go or something. Hamilton gets the soft tires. Apparently the soft tire is the optimal tire, which we did see. I agree mm-hmm. with that. The soft tire was the optimal tire. Rosberg didn't have any left. So how then did Rosberg get in front of Hamilton? Is that fair? Should Mercedes have handed the lead back to Lewis or is it sort of like a technical failure in comparison to a strategy failure? Do Are you going to let the one who has the strategy failure re-overtake the guy who's been running fine? Hmm. What's fair in that consequence? So I know Sky was all over Toto Wolf and Mercedes for not letting uh, Lewis Hamilton pass Rosberg under team orders, but I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Even though I'm a Hamilton fan, well, later in the race, if you if you're a driver, you're looking to take that advantage if it's available. So why at the start of the race wouldn't you expect the driver to want to hold that advantage? I I would tend to agree with you, Tim, in that I would not expect to see Hamilton be allowed you know allowed to pass, have to to fight for the pass. I mean, it's strategy. You look at it as a failure or whatever, however you know, however you want to look at it or or coin it. It is what it is, and it's a race, and you're in the race, and that's the position that you got to put mm-hmm. in. And I do understand what you mean in, in that it's a, there's it, there's a technical way, there's a procedure, there's a procedure that happened that put that in place. So, yeah, well, uh, it was basically a three-way chess match. He's yeah. fighting Vettel, and meanwhile, Rosberg's trying to catch up. 
Vettel goes out of the race. Meanwhile, Hamilton is now, you know, blindsided by mm. Rosberg's strategy. Rosberg overtakes under the pit stops, and I think that yeah, you should Hamilton revere. Is left down. You should revere your teammate with the same fangs you revere the guy out in front of you that's not your teammate in that situation. If Rosberg yeah, can get an you, advantage, go ahead. He's supposed to trust his engineers, though. So, whose fault is it? Is it anybody's fault? Do we just leave it as it is, or... I mean, it's still team sport, so Hamilton loses with the engineers, and he wins with the engineers, so I don't think that he should mm -hmm. be receiving, I don't know, orders to pass, or the permission to just pass Rosberg because his engineers made a mistake, right? Because okay. in some races, they might save him, so it kind of balances yeah, I, I, out. I, I, yeah, I agree with that, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's what I think. I could understand the engineers challenging for a 1-2, and trying everything they can to get a one-two, but I I don't agree with the engineers, you know, trying to dictate what that order is in within the balance of the team. If you know they want to do everything they can to, to if if it's different if you get into a situation maybe where Hamilton seems to be running with a lot more pace than Rosberg or something like that. But with what I saw in the race and each you know each guy's pace, they clearly both ended up in the same position. They were so close, but. It, in that mindset, you know, it's it's again. I don't think that Hamilton should be able to trust his engineers and his team to hold P1 for him just to hold it for Mercedes in respect to both P1 and P2. So to be trying for that at all times. Not to necessarily, you know, oh, well, we gave this driver, you know, to keep things fair necessarily. Hmm. I mean, though, if you're Lewis Hamilton, you're going to be pretty pissed off that they gave the lead effectively to nico rosberg absolutely that's, but what, if I'm Lewis that's Hamilton, what it seems like right yeah but if i'm lewis hamilton i'm kind of whiny when things don't go my way so it'll blow over <laughs> and it'll be fine well it'll you, just i mean no it's it, not that shoes, it doesn't make right? sense not that it doesn't make sense not that he should not be incensed by that but at the same time my argument is it's okay rosberg was presented with something that could give him an advantage in a race hamilton needed to hold hamilton at that point in time needed to hold off and fight against Vettel. At that point, I don't think that Lewis Hamilton has any alternative. He wants to fight for the win, and he needs to cover Ferrari because he wants to win. If he wanted mm -hmm. to race Nico Rosberg, and instead of Vettel, thinking ahead in the race, Vettel won't be able to, or something, you know, that's up to him too in a strategy. It's just the way that things panned out. I, that's where I'm coming from. That that that's just something. If the same thing could be presented through opportunity, but to hold one guy's pace back is the the ant, you know is the exact opposite of what they're trying to do, is to get both Mercedes cars to complete race start to race distance in the fastest time possible, no matter what. That should be the, the end-all, be-all for what is or not a, a decision, in, in my book, if I'm writing the rules, for Mercedes and what they're doing. So that holding Rosberg back, that defeats that overall goal. Does this incident give Hamilton distrust in his team mm. for giving Rosberg the lead? No, I mean, why, why would it? I think that they could probably explain that it was an honest mistake and that they maybe weren't looking the right way and that mm -hmm. it just wasn't intentional, right? And um, they kind of made up for it with a great car in Silverstone. So I think the trust is back or it should mm -hmm. be back, yeah. And I think he's professional enough to kind of forget about it. Yeah, yeah. Right, I mean, he still is a top athlete and it's his day job. It's just, I mean, in a moment we're going to be talking about team orders and overtaking on track and all yeah. of that so if the team doesn't put him in a position to overtake or they tell him 
not to overtake. I mean, of course he's going to overtake. We're all expecting that. Yeah. So, so, so anyway, Jesse, this ended up in quite the event. Right. So comes down to the last lap. You still basically have, I mean, there are, there are a couple other things that happen. Um, you know, Verstappen has a, has a couple great moves holding them up a little bit. Um, but it looks like, it really does look like to me that the best place for for, for Hamilton to get around Rosberg, and he's, he's inching, there are a couple of the slow speed corners where he's, he's right on the rear of Rosberg's car. It really looks like it's coming down turn one, that he's going to be able to do what Hamilton does, come to the inside or, or outside maybe, but just outbreak him. And the, it, the apex comes and it goes and, and nothing happens. And it, like that right there, I thought, oh man, it's, it's not going to happen. It, it really is. It, it's done. Then they come off the corner. And I guess Rosberg caught some part of the curbing and slowed himself up a little bit. And when Hamilton came around, out around the outside of him, it was kind of surreal at first. I really didn't understand what had happened, how Hamilton got such a run, seeming that he, he was just locked down behind him just a second prior. But they come up to that last turn, and it I didn't read or hear, and I guess if Fred can probably be one of the few to speak to the contrary, any opinion in regard to what happened after that, because it looked like Hamilton drove toward the outside, looked like he gave not only the racing line, but room to the side of the racing line to come around the corner. He was ahead. Rosberg claims he's to the inside. It's his corner, etc. But Hamilton really turned his wheel completely. And that's what made the accident look so abrupt, is that Hamilton, he, he can't see where Rosberg is. He's, I guess, assuming that he's turned on the racing line with the corner. Not that he is where, where he is clearly, because when Hamilton turns blindly to hold onto the outside edge of the racing line, he runs right into the other side of that car, hard with force. Um, he didn't. It's not like they were winged tire where another guy got strategically up on some. Or, you know, there's any any way around it. You can see from cockpit views, blind spot, turn, smash, front of Rosberg's car's gone. Hamilton hit the wheel bearing basically, and it saves his car. Coming off the corner, I thought that it was going to keep going and that Rosberg was going to hold the hold the lead because of the way that he ran Hamilton's car wide. But his car started to disintegrate. Backed off the podium. We've got uh, Kimi Raikkonen, Max Verstappen, and Lewis Hamilton on the podium. So I just want to bring up Nico Rosberg's passing moves. And I don't know if you guys ever watched him pass. Mm-hmm. And his usual move is he goes for the inside runs deep into the corner so that the other car can't turn in, compromises that other car's line so they can't undercut him. Yeah. So so he doesn't go too far, but, I mean, he just holds it so that car can't turn in, kind of like he did in this event, except he was the one being passed, goes in too deep, then turns in, preventing that other car from, you know, going around or undercutting him. So this was, it was quite similar, except he was the one being passed. Like, you mean with his car positioning? Like, his car was positioned where yeah. he normally tries to pass. He tries to displace the other car. Yeah, so he goes in, he breaks he breaks late, goes past the apex turn-in point, then turns in to block that other car on the outside of the corner from turning in at that car's optimal place mm-hmm. for getting Nico back. 
Right. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind so of. So I don't know if that's what he was trying to do, but in defense. Okay. Tell me if I'm wrong so, here, but it seems like Hamilton's signature passing move is the inverse. He'll come in, put his car in a shitty positioning. Not shitty, but seemingly non-optimal in the entrance to a corner and be in a better position coming off the corner with more speed to get around somebody or late break too, but not in the same mm -hmm. way where he'll dive in maybe deep and daring, but not necessarily push a car to the edge of the other white line, just get inside at, at, at any rate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it looked like it did look like Rosberg was driving Hamilton to the outside of the track. It was, it was, a, it was a weird line. Fred, what were your? Did you? What did you um, take in any? What, what did the German press say? Oh, I mean, the Germans at first were really pissed off Hamilton because they thought that it was his fault. But then, like, uh, and uh, then suddenly, or rather quickly, Nicky Lauda and Toto Wolf said, "Oh no, that's Rosberg's fault." And so they took their time to uh, have another look at the video, and then they all agreed that well, Rosberg was a bit over the, over the line and just didn't leave any room and. Hamilton has to turn at some point, right? So um, it's Rosberg's fault for not leaving him any space to turn in and make the apex, or not even make the apex, but just have an okay uh, way out of the corner and a uh, run at the straight. With so, any I, I kind of agree with that, actually. I think that this was all on Rosberg, to be honest, because he could have been... I mean, Hamilton has the DRS, he's close, he's got a better tighters. Um, that was just overly aggressive and it kind of looked desperate to me, right? That's what I thought. Mm. And in the end, it cost him, what, uh, 10 points, right? He went from second to fourth, so he, he lost the podium. Um, yeah, totally his fault. So so I was watching Sky at the time, Yeah. and they pretty blatantly were for Lewis, obviously, right? Yeah. They're British. They're going they to always be. are, yeah. And it's interesting you say that Toto and Nikki both told German media that it was Nico's fault. Because over to Sky, they were saying it was nobody's fault. Nobody's but fault. Both of their, yeah. But both yeah. of their fault. Both oh, okay. of their fault, rather, okay. instead of nobody's fault. So so that's interesting that you say that. Nikki Lauda was pretty blatant about it. I mean, he just... How do I put this? Nikki Lauda says a lot of things. Um, mm -hmm. if there's a microphone here. And Total Wolf was like, oh, yeah, it's just, yeah, uh, Rosberg is more at fault than Hamilton, but they both could have maybe avoided it. But he still shifted the blame mostly to Rosberg um, and then said, yeah, I'm not going to talk much more about that. We're going to have to talk with the guys first. I'm not sure about uh, whether Mercedes really thinks that it's all Rosberg's fault. I'm not sure. Um but they kind of made the suggestion to the media, and that's enough uh, for mm -hmm. all the press to pick it up, right? I mean, that's all they need. Well, the end point is that they're pissed off when either one of them crashed the cars. They think that it makes them look stupid. Yeah. Um, that that's, that's what it is. And I disagree with that. I don't think it makes them look stupid at all. It's, uh, you know, nobody wants to come away from a, a race weekend with both cars in pieces, but at the same time, those cars are going to be, in some Grand Prix, the only two racing for the lead, for the win. And if we can't, I mean, we uh, even, you know, in the Red Bull days, you got Mark Webber uh, through a couple of great races back at Vettel, you know, and they they were fun to watch. 
there are for, there are other teams doing well a lot better this year, but it's expensive, and that's the other aspect of it too that you really can't argue against. But I think that it's it to try to and the deterrence now is that what they're they say they're going to suspend a driver from a race, which is such a far stretch of a thing to do. Uh, short of one of that Hamilton or Rosberg clearly and just completely evidently driving the other off the track and causing them to, you know, forcing another DNF, I can maybe see them considering it, but that's the only way. Hmm. If they were some, but, th- but then you have uh, constructors interfering with the driver's championship. So going into Austria, uh, Ferrari had a camshaft update. I forgot how many tokens they spent on that. It was like mm-hmm. one or two, I think. Um, but that was just to, supposed to help... I think it was in uh, in league with the new fuel from Shell, I believe. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if it was power or efficiency or both. or hmm. so, But we didn't really see the performance upgrade we were expecting from them. And that performance, I mean, didn't really carry through to Silverstone, really. No, um, not at all, no. Vettel had, Vettel but, had a I mean, it was, it was pretty wet as well. Yeah, well, even with and, that, with with, their, with well, their main issue right this season's right, but getting tires, I think they work best in not like a hot race. Is that right? Well, it was very warm out. I mean, the fast, the the strongest race from Ferrari was in Canada, right? When he when Vettel mm-hmm. was only six seconds of Hamilton in a dry race, and that was really cold. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so, true. Yeah, so it looks and in, for example, if you think about Baku, Mercedes was dominant and ferrari was nowhere and so maybe it's the opposite (laughs) yeah so it's hot i think it's the opposite yeah but yeah and then we then we have all these teams now trying to get around pirelli's mandated tire pressure yeah uh restrictions with these so they're heating the hubs they're heating the brakes before they put the wheels on then they put the wheels on you know put the pressure exactly you know where pirelli wants it yeah then it all cools down when they start running, when they start the car starts circulating the track, and then the pressure's lower and they get the grip they want. Yep. I mean, they kind of heat up the whole axle of the car. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's, and it looks like Ferrari is not quite there yet. They didn't quite understand what the other teams are mm-hmm. doing. And I think Red Bull and Mercedes are really good at that. And well, really... Renault's doing it too, apparently. Really? <laughs> I've seen a bunch of pictures. Yeah. I posted a picture. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then we had all those curbs breaking. Yeah, Danny Kvyat suspension. Did it break Max Verstappen's? Uh, yeah, in training and practice. And yeah, yeah. Uh, Paris had an issue in qualifying. I mean, he could mm-hmm. he made it back, but the car was still broken. Well, there were there were three curves, right? There's the normal curb, yep. which is just the red and white. Then next there was like a negative curb, I believe. That was painted red, and then we had those. They were calling them baguettes, mm-hmm. apparently. Those yellow, the massive ones. I don't know. They're kind of like speed humps in size. It looked looked like to me. Yeah. Yeah, they're plastic or something. Okay. Um, but it was those, and then for Mercedes, it was actually those negative ones that broke their suspension, at least for Rosberg. Oh yeah, is that what caused Rosberg's? I mean, yeah, he... Because that broke he, his gearbox or something? Yeah, he crashed, or and something. then they had to replace... I think what they did is the car was in pieces, and they had only two hours to go to qual- to qualifying, and so mm-hmm. they replaced the whole rear end. So the whole rear okay. came off, and they put another one 
on there, and that's why they took the penalty for the gearbox. What so was that glob of stuff on the rear A arm? What? What was the glob of material that was post that you showed Tim on the rear uh, control arm on the Mercedes? Like some kind of oh, tape. Well, that, or that's something. where it was reinforced, and what also was that? the. That are you talking about the wishbone? With... Yeah, 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 yeah. A arm. So, so the. Yeah. yeah, so that was reinforcement. I think that's where it broke, but also the. What do you call it? The track rod where the actual suspension load mm-hmm. goes through. Mm-hmm. That one also apparently was reinforced. I'm not. I don't really have a good picture of that either, though. Okay. Looks like tape. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Play-Doh I'm, and tape. I'm sure it's the most expensive tape you can buy, but it's tape. <laughs> <laughs> what was it, like a week later? Yeah. We then come to Silverstone. What is this, like six races in eight weeks? Something ridiculous? It's massive. We're in the middle of right now? Yeah, yeah. So, when you look at how slow the season starts with that break, though, that's why it seems like you're spoiled now because you get like one, mm-hmm. you get like two races over nine weeks in some in one period. Yeah, the European part of the season is usually pretty packed. Um, I think it's also because it's well, you can just send trucks instead of planes. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of it. Mm. So that's a lot easier and a lot cheaper. So they can just pack it into cram it into like two months, all of the races. Within. Didn't they have to go from Montreal to Baku in yeah. a week? Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that seems Complete. like poor planning. I wonder who paid completely. for that. <laughs> well, and it's a it's a completely different environment. It's it went from freezing in Canada to ninety mm-hmm. degrees. Purposeful obstruction of Lama. <laughs> Probably yeah. And Bernie just said, "Well, we got twenty one races now, so, and we don't race in like three months." So we, in the future, might have to still clash with uh, Le Mans, which I why think... Can, why is... couldn't they just move Baku to the next week weekend? I don't understand exactly. that. Exactly. So uh, that's what I thought. And um, it's stupid, right? Because there's always going to be a weekend off, and then you can just move the other races, mm-hmm. right? And um, But hey, it's Eccleston's thing. I think he doesn't... Yeah, it's his, his grime with Le Mans and um, trying to keep F1... And shelter F1 from pot potential rivals in racing. So I don't. I don't really think WEC can compete with Le Mans. I mean, they don't have that many races, and they're very long. You're not going to sit down. Yeah. The majority of the public is not going to sit down and watch the entire race. No, no. I no. like WEC. I love it, but it's one. It's not even on TV over here, really. Okay. I think. Fox sort of does the 24 Hours of Le Mans. I watched it online, hmm. but uh, yeah, not very well covered. Yeah, nah, I, it's it's Bernie's way of doing business, right? He's the mafia. Mm-hmm. That's what he called himself. So um, <laughs> that's how he's gonna conduct business. <laughs> Easy as that. So then we move to Silverstone. Mercedes qualifies one two. Red Bull three four. Ferrari again. Not up to pace, nope. for whatever reason. But I mean, talk it was about a dry the gap. qualifying, right? The gap is incredible. Like it's one point five seconds for Raikkonen to Mercedes. I mean, that's mm-hmm. and the track isn't that long, right, Silverstone? Ninety seconds. No, it's a very high downforce track, though, which is why I think it suited Red Bull pretty well. Yeah. So the race started behind the safety car under drying conditions. Do you guys like this always starting behind the safety car? Or do you want them? We haven't seen a wet start for a very long time. Yeah. I kind of get why they do it. 
but I would just mm-hmm. give them one or two siding laps behind the safety car so they can figure out where, where the standing water is, where the puddles are, and then just have them do a normal start. Yeah, why don't do they do that? And so, you yeah, know, exactly. do the safety car still count the laps so they don't have to, right. you know, yeah, but then just, waste fuel yeah. and then just start it with however many laps left with a standing start. Right, totally, yeah. That's, that makes the most sense. That sounds like a good idea, yeah. And you can't tell me that the 24 best... Uh, 22 best drivers on the planet can do a start in the wet or can mm. figure out that that corner is more wet than the other right that no but it. five or six of them can't <laughs> well yeah but those <laughs> five or six are in the back and uh will spin out eventually anyway so um doesn't make i normally of a difference i hate i hate the safety car starts because the the first turn leading up to the first turn is one of the best parts of the whole weekend but in this case, mm-hmm. this was one of the few races where it kind of evolved my opinion as it moved on. Um, I, I, yeah, I would tend to agree. It was like six or eight laps or something under the safety car to start the race, which is a little excessive. And I understand from I think I was watching this the Sky Sportscast of this one too. Uh, Hamilton was basically calling out to when it was time to start the race to Charlie Whiting. So it was yeah. I, but this race, luckily, enough action happened throughout that I, it wasn't quite. I didn't feel so robbed. But the the wets. Oh, uh, my sarcasm aside, yeah, I tend to agree with Fred. The, it's wet. You should still one or two siding laps. Here's the standing water. Don't run over it. Have have at it, and then you know come bring them back around and try to restart them. Um, I heard that theory that the FIA is now really cautious about. Um, well rainy conditions because of the lawsuit against them uh, mm. because uh, from the Bianchi family and that they now don't want to take any risks at all just because of still that. Still driving tractors and forklifts and shit around the racetrack. <laughs> well, right. they're, I mean, they're very good now and I've been paying attention to, you know, if a car's in a position where another car could hit it, they don't move any marshals out there really um, if it can't move. They don't move any marshals out there or machinery until they have that virtual safety enabled, mm. virtual mm-hmm. safety car. So I'm I'm very happy with the virtual safety car. But no. yeah, I am a fan. I will say of the introduction. Yeah, I am a fan of the virtual safety car too. I think it's cool. It's a lot better than running a safety car every time there's an incident too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. And that just wastes you know so much time of the race, like 10, 20 minutes. Yeah. For the safety car to run around. So Lewis Hamilton leads by like six to eight seconds for pretty much the entire race. He's not really challenged. So there was a pretty good fight between Rosberg and uh, Verstappen, which is what we are we're all watching. Mm. Ricardo was in fourth. Somehow through the pit stops, he got overtaken by uh, Sergio Perez, and that kind of ruined his race. Well, because he yeah. didn't pit on the virtual safety car. Exactly. Yeah. That's what it was. What's that? Perez pitted on the virtual safety car, and uh, Ricardo did not, and that's what fucked him. And the same thing happened. Oh, is that to, right? Yeah, Verstappen pitted on the virtual safety oh, car okay. too, and that's what helped him jump up. Yeah, that cost him 10 seconds, the pit stop, not under the safety car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was was Ricardo too close to Verstappen for them to stack the pit stops? Um, that could I'm not be. sure of. I'm not sure. Because they, 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 they stacked Mercedes. Yeah. Because, yeah. what was it, like four seconds at the time, six seconds? I think, yeah. It was something. Five. So, so it wasn't, wasn't bad for them. No. No. I mean, it was, it was um, close for Mercedes, um, but it worked out. Yeah, it looked mm. perfect the first set, yeah. the first run through. It was in out, next one in out. Yeah. 
I was surprised. Yeah. I, I had to look look twice and make sure. I was like, oh, they had both sets of tires ready then? And they yeah, they did. I didn't even notice. Yeah, I don't know how they keep track of that and not put the other guy's old tires back on accidentally. <laughs> or at least get all four tires on, unlike Julian Palmer's crew. Oh, man. Didn't that happen to Jensen Button at Silverstone, or was that a different track? Uh, that he only took three tires? I forget. Like a couple of years ago? Um, and he like went to the end of the pit lane and just had this, he just stopped there and his race was over. Could be, could be. I'm not sure actually. So Verstappen passes Rosberg uh, pretty soon after that pit stop um, when it's still pretty wet when they're on intermediate tires. Mm-hmm. Then they change on the slicks and Rosberg takes his time to try and get around Verstappen again. Yeah, as it dry, uh, drew out, dry out? How do you say that? Past tense. Dried out? dried out as it dried out i think the mercedes was better on their tires than the red bull so the red bull's downforce wasn't as useful yeah i would agree yeah anymore so those well, like you caught s- up and where it was able to pass yeah like you said hamilton sat six seconds out ahead because he's now driving that engine as far as it'll go trying to be as easy as he can trying to hold off that penalty because he's the, that's the last engine. So he said that basically he turned the engine mode lower down when he got a lead till Rosberg started catching. He tried to answer with a lower engine mode, couldn't, had to turn it back up. But he's he's tr- he you know six Mercedes finishing 6 seconds or you know Hamilton finishing 6 seconds ahead was an engineered finish. That's that's as far as he felt he needed to be to guarantee himself the win. So he was take, mm-hmm. trying to take it easy on that car. Um, there, there's still, I mean, it's interesting that the, the, the single lap paces here and there are closer, but when those cars are out in clean air, they're still roll uh, a second faster than everybody else. A lap. So yeah, what was it? The last, like, five laps to go or three laps to go, all of a sudden we see Verstappen gain, like, three seconds, two seconds, something like that. He's only one and a half seconds behind Rosberg all of a sudden. Rosberg gets on the radio. Uh, what did he say? I quoted it. Gearbox problem. Gearbox problem. Then Tony Ross comes on the radio back and tells him a couple settings, which apparently was fine. Yep. Because that, that saved his car. What started the FIA investigation was the, quote, shift through seventh gear. Yeah. Telling Nico how to drive, apparently. So, so even saying avoid seventh gear was still fine. No, but, no, that that was the problem. See that Nico said, "How do I fix this?" They or how do I? Nico asked specific, "How do I?" He's exactly. And yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not saying his his. I'm not saying his phrasing is the cause, but he said, "How do I?" And the answer was avoid seventh gear. And how do I? And, yeah, and then he said, "How do I again?" And then they said, "Shift hard eight, shift through seventh. But but I I I thought that like you said, Fred. I thought them saying avoid seventh was the problem. I thought that avoid seventh was still okay, and that uh, saying shift oh, through okay. seventh was the issue. I thought that that was still fine, but is that the same thing? That sounds like the same thing. I think I don't think it is because saying avoid seventh gear doesn't. I mean, well, it actually, shift through. Yeah, I mean, it's not a direct order to for him to shift through it. They just say avoid seventh gear, and he still has to make. I mean, it's Kent. What's the difference but, between that and? You know, well, telling them which engine mode to be in. Well, Nico Rosberg. Because that was the first. That was the first comment, wasn't it? The engine mode default, oh. whatever. Oh, one. Yeah, yeah. Right. Which, which yeah. apparently was fine because they were saving the car from a retirement. 
Oh, okay, yeah. Make, that's, that makes sense, actually, yeah. That was what their argument, and I guess they were fine on that. I wish I knew what that did. What, uh, like, that, that command, you know what I mean? I don't even know what that... Apparently the drivers <laughs> don't either, and that's the problem, is that... And the teams are... Well, can we talk about it for a minute? The the orders in regard yeah. to this that we've gotten. Okay, so you have. Well, Lewis Hamilton, a- you just said right now knows his engine modes because <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know that narrative that he was switching engine modes to save his engine and all that. So he must now know what all the engine modes do, or at least some of them, right? Yeah. So and that's what they're the art the 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 argument is from the teams especially. Is that they're saying that well this is ridiculous we should the cars are so technical we should be able to and first of all I don't buy that in any era we'll make of them F- less technical right what's that that that's the FIA's point make them less technical well when weren't they technical no matter how far you go back back to a, a mechanical fuel injection at the time was so technical well, it's still pretty technical now but I mean every invention that they've come no, up with not, it's not like the engineering pit wall you know, back then, or the driver could fix an issue no, if something it's, was no, caused it's back not. then, right? There's nothing on the steering wheel they can change. But with the same with the same effect, as electronic and augmentable as everything is, yes, it's that much more complex, but d- does that automatically excuse the driver from having to know how know these things about the vehicle? See, I, and my well, problem I, I with agree this, with you that the driver should know these things about the vehicle, okay. and I think that's what... what what Nico Rosberg's advantage has been through the past three years with Lewis Hamilton is I, I believe doesn't even an engineering degree Rosberg. I think he does. Anyway, it's my opinion that I've seen that Rosberg knows more about his car than Hamilton does, but I'm sure, well, Hamilton didn't necessarily need to, did he? Cause he won the last two championships. Oh, you think Hamilton's but, just, I drive it and it goes fast. Well, yeah, no, I'm not making... Yeah, that's what I... He didn't need to, to, right? The engineers would tell him, but now he needs to. So clearly he's shifting his perspective of the car, what he needs to understand about the car in order to drive. So what's Charlie Whiting's actual... And that's what the teams are so pissed off of, is pissed off about, is because... It's not clear? Yeah, it's... it's The driver must operate the car unaided. So mm-hmm. that could mean, you know, the... the but I think what he's trying to restore is, in the past, when you had a mechanical part start to fail, it what differentiated good drivers from okay drivers was the good drivers knew how to drive the car the graceful degradation. When it started to fall apart, they could feel and sense and maybe take it easier through left-handers if the right-hand side of the car where the load's going is starting to give way. And they're trying to bring some of that back to what is going on. And in this era, the drivers are going to... The, the teams are going to have to engineer a way to communicate failures of the car to the driver without them doing it over the radio. That's just it. I like the driver having to utilize information, not just hear a direct command outside. All the driver's doing is driving the car as fast as he can, and if something happens, he, oh, I do, I twist this, turn this, and play bop it, and I'm done. And instead of that, he has to think about and, you know, absorb the information that he's getting and translate that into actions he has to take as opposed to just being commanded to it over the radio. So I, I like yeah, so, the, the setup the way it is now. So going back to Austria, we had Nico Rosberg's apparently was going into that incident, why he braked long or what a reason from Mercedes was that his brakes were failing because he was running in um, traffic for so long. Mm-hmm. 
So his brakes were overheating. He apparently should have seen that in the dashboard and started compromising for that. Mercedes allegedly couldn't tell him that his brakes were failing. And and that's what took uh, Sergio Perez out, right? Yeah. Right. So so Nico's brakes were failing. He should have responded to that. And so I don't know actually how you sense that as a driver of these modern Formula One cars with these carbon carbon brakes. Is it like they're good and then they automatically all of a sudden start to fail very quickly? They go off a cliff or do they gradually start to fail? I think that the person you're quoting in regard to Rosberg should have seen it on his steering wheel was Hamilton, right? Yeah. He was talking about, yeah, that's, hmm. he was doing that in his post-race inter- interview, right? Yeah, right. And he, so, I, I don't know what carbon brakes do when they get too hot, um, but it's that information on the screen that, that's that's it. If, 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 there's a, if something's going wrong, that there's a feeling that you can't get, then what, you know, an electronic warning on, on the screen it's arguable that the drivers have their hands quote unquote full at the speeds they're doing on the track but at the same time you would think if a red flashing light was going on in front of your face that said brakes overheating which is what basically it sounded like to me Hamilton was suggesting that Rosberg should have been able to react and what too I think everybody else agrees that it's it's not that the brakes weren't working it's that the steering wheel wasn't given input <laughs> But the brake failure was why they said that he slipped coming out of turn one is because he was out of position because he had that. And, and in that case in itself, there you go, Tim. It, it must be some kind, you know, some kind of fade uh, as they overheated because that's what that's what put him out of place. I guess you go back and watch the last lap for Rosberg, see where Wait, he ended so up. Wait, so explain that to me. I don't I don't fully understand. So turn one, I thought he clipped the inside and took the apex too soon. Is that not correct? Uh, yeah. That's what it looked like for me. Yeah, I think the car. So if if his brakes yeah. failed, wouldn't he go long, and then have to take a? Uh, I, I don't know I'm what not, you call it. I think that's Abby. A corner. Apex? I'm not familiar. I'm not familiar enough with the corner. But yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. I thought that it was he clipped the outside of the curbing coming out of the corner, and that that's when his tires slipped and they lost traction. Oh, but, is that what? I'm not okay. I saw him. Sure I saw him go it. really close on the inside on Lewis's onboard. Mm-hmm. From, from what I, yeah, I thought from that what, was it. From what I recall, it was again. when he when he's coming past the apex onto the, the there's there's like a a bend there after Abby. It's not quite a turn, but there's a bend, and as he there's a he hits an, an apex on what would be in the American driver's side, and he gets a little bit of, of spin there, and that's when Hamilton, you know, really pulls on him. Hmm. But that, that, and that would be indicative, of, yeah, that he, he he came out too wide coming through the exit of the corner carrying too much speed and hit that. Hamilton seemed to know that his placement was wrong coming out of the corner, so and that's why he so confidently drove around him coming at him the way he did. I think it was from Hamilton's post-race interview that that's where I'm getting that from, but I'm not sure. One hell of a last lap, though. <laughs> yeah. That was a great race. So here's the question now. Going back to Mercedes always wanting a clean one two when your drivers are out in front is it going to give you more publicity publicity to have them actually race and crash into each other rather than just have a boring one two with team orders and have no viewers and get no advertisement 
that you actually have a fast car. Absolutely. And if you were a team like Williams, that'd be great. <laughs> but Mercedes is a they're a luxury brand. So they're not interested in as much publicity as possible. They want the right publicity. So to them it's even though it seemed like it would be instantly valuable to have the drivers do what it's not. It's not the case and it's it's that they they want to project themselves as an entity both on track and off track in the same manner. And that's a gentlemanly one-two where the drivers maintain a reasonable distance. <laughs> you know, it's that, that in my mind, that's what, that's where they're coming from. So Red Bull is about to take overtake. And this is the way I'm seeing it. Ferrari for second in the world constructors championship. Sure. Yeah. Do you see that happening? Or do you think Ferrari's going to come back? Out of nowhere? Oh, it's totally going to happen. I think Ferrari's <laughs> done, and I think that Ferrari's sooner or later going to shift focus to 2017. Because they know they won't win this year. And I think that Vettel is smart enough to mm-hmm. also say, well, I'd rather have a bad year and have a good year next year than having two okay years. Mm. So uh, I think Ferrari's just trying to figure out when to uh, switch and how to make that elegant and not upset the big boss or something. I mean, Alonso's predictions are coming true. Yeah, right? And, I, and I'm still saying this. If Alonso wins a championship with McLaren and then retires, and if Vettel doesn't win a championship in the same time with Ferrari, then he's still right about switching. He still made the right choice. And you mean if Vettel wins a championship with Ferrari after yeah. Alonso retires? Yeah. Sure. Sure. Then Alonso was right with, with the move, and um, mm. it looks like that could become possible. I mean, McLaren is moving up there, right? Honda just oh yeah, Honda is improving, definitely. Apparently, their engine is close to or on par with Toro Rosso's 2015 Ferrari engine. Hey, that's that's what I've been what I've been hearing. That's good. I mean, that's a solid improvement for them. Yeah. Mm. And, Which I mean, that actually makes sense because. Honda was a year down, so yeah. yep. right with with last yeah, year's yeah. Ferrari engine, they're on par. That so I wonder what's going to happen next year when all the token system is abolished, people just free develop. Ah, good, good for Honda, I think. Uh, bad for Ferrari because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that means Renault and Honda catching up even more. And yeah, it's, I think yeah, I think it's good for Honda, but it's it's again going to force. The, I think next season is still going to be a, a, a type of development year for them again because they're going to get away from this size zero turbo stuff and rethink that. Haven't they, the, didn't they already do that? I thought they upgraded their turbo a the, while ago. I guess right? I, well, they just don't the have design, like the capacity in the MGU H. I think the design philosophy of the car and the chassis still followed the the size zero, or the size zero philosophy though. Hmm. Yeah, I think that they upgraded. still that they still had a major like a major design commitment to make to not going down that route with an entire car. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and then I'm watching this battle between McLaren, Haas, and Toro Rosso, mm-hmm. which apparently McLaren have admitted Haas are their main rivals this year. <laughs> So Haas have 28 points after Silverstone. Toro Rosso have 41, and McLaren right in the middle have 32. 
So, oh. I mean, yeah, we'll see. I think McLaren is the strongest of the bunch. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, Toro Rosso did, what, double point score at Silverstone. Um, yeah. Yeah, but... Well, McLaren yeah. didn't finish at all, but... You know, yeah, but Toroso McLaren arguably could have been a lot, done a lot better. That and Toroso is not going to receive any improvements to the engine because the engine yeah, is done. True. And McLaren can still have a bunch of upgrades. So, um, and they have more budget, of course, and they can probably develop the car longer than Toroso. Mm. So I think McLaren should take it. So what's interesting is, since Verstappen joined Red Bull, he scored the second amount of points out of anybody. So Hamilton, 110 points. Verstappen, 77. Rosberg, 68. Wow. Yes, he outscored Rosberg. Vettel, 65. Ricardo, 64. Raikkonen, 63. So for, correct me, did, did Verstappen outqualify Ricardo for the first time this weekend? Yep. He did. Well, so and, I've been hearing that Ricardo's car has been set up more for qualifying and that they have been trying to switch it. So that's why Ricardo qualified high and then Verstappen passes him oh, yeah. during the race. And leads. So I heard that Ricardo changed that somehow. Mm-hmm. I nothing specific that I've heard, but changed yeah. that to be more towards the race. And so, you know, it's still disappointing for Ricardo because I'm sure his car will be set up similar to similarly to Verstappen's now. Well, it was weird though because it seems like Verstappen is really comfortable in that chassis. Yeah, he's just natural talent. I mean, it's. Cr- He's he's still eighteen years old, right? And he's just I don't know. He just I, is kind of comfortable with fighting for podiums, just making that quick step from Toro Rosso where I, he fights for top tens, and now he's fighting for P two or P three, and he's just it to me looks like he like it it's something that he did all his life, despite being eighteen years old. So um, very well, impressive. he did do it all his life. Yeah, <laughs> Most yeah. yeah. <laughs> He did it the most most amount of his life racing. So, and I know they're trying to limit it, but he's still sort of running engi- engineers racing a little bit right now. Like you know, his podiums have come from long stints, haven't I think both of them. Yeah. Um, and it, well, he's, he's very good on his tires, isn't he? That's right. So he, he he's able to get in get into the groove, get himself into a pace that works and works for the car, and and carry the tires through, which it, it tells a lot about a driver. Uh, it, it's it will be different to see him. Um, maybe next season or, or another time going for, or maybe, maybe, maybe even this season, but uh, getting a little bit more comfortable with the tracks. So what well, this was, I think this was his second Silverstone Grand Prix. So but getting more comfortable and then maybe uh, being more uh, aggressive or assertive in different, different situations. Hmm. But the pass on Rosberg, well-placed. Um, he, he the, in, they were both on intermediates then, I think. Yeah. And he just found some grip and was able to hold his car. Rosberg doesn't have the best reputation in the wet either, you know. So, but it's it's really it. The cars are I don't I don't know what the right word is because numb is definitely not the right word. But what the his his ability to assimilate in the position that he's in so easily definitely does it. it I just don't know what kind of a driver he is yet. I don't know enough of his character. He's definitely good, good on his tires. So that's inarguable. Did anybody else see any like defining characteristics of him outside of you know the same stuff we see from Sergio Perez? What I love about Verstappen is that he makes overtakes in corners we don't ordinarily see. 
So he'll take somebody like Rosberg this weekend. He overtook him. I for what was it? Uh, Chapel, yeah. Magus Beckett's through those. Both those asses. Yeah. It was Beckett's. Yeah, instead of everybody else who right now is just doing DRS passes, mm. easy, you know, just waiting for that to happen. That's what Rosberg did to pass him back. Was just waited for a DRS zone. Yeah. You know, eventually got close and then used that and passed him easy. So that's what I love about Verstappen. So maybe to his credit, he crashed at Monaco. You know, he does, he pushes it. Mm. Well, Vel, didn't Vel do the same thing? So they locked up and then got onto the wet stuff and then uh, just careened into the wall. Hmm. Or did Vettel do that at uh, Silverstone? No, I mean, Somebody... he, he, I mean, he didn't crash into a wall, but he pushed myself. Well, yeah, it went, it went off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Before that, though, he, he, he was the first one to switch tires to the slicks. And he don't like. I think the very next time around, turn one, he it, it just caught him off guard. It mm. was the turn one. Whenever the the I think that's Abby. Abby when, yeah. when they switched, when the when the conditions switched, had to be the greatest place to sit. I mean, Hamilton went wide. Uh, Vettel went way wide. Alonso's spin was crazy. I can't believe he dug that out of there. Drove through the sand trap, <laughs> through his own tire tracks, and back out to go. And it like you watch the replay, his like the floor of his McLaren literally like dug into the sand and helped like slow that thing down. It still hit the wall, and was able to drive off. Maybe one of the most impressive things I've seen a modern Formula One car do. <laughs> so Wehrlein scored Manners' first point in Austria, but then he was the first one out at the British Grand Prix. I still don't know what I think about him. I just don't. He's not a Verstappen to me. I don't see him good enough for McLaren. But that's my opinion. What do you guys think? Uh, Mercedes must like him for something. Mercedes, that's what I meant. Yeah, but they must like him for something. I mean, he's running a 2014 car at Silverstone this week in testing. Yeah, he he to me looks like the new Rosberg. A calculating quick driver, but not the new super talent. Not the new Hamilton or uh, new Alonso. And to his credit, honestly, like the manner is the worst car in the wet, no downforce compared to um, the top cars. So it must be really hard to keep the car in the wet on slight uh, on intermediates on track. But still, yeah, his mistake and um, a, a switch because um, he was really strong in Austria and he did know the track in Austria because he was racing there in DTM for three years. DTM, yeah. And he didn't know Silverstone. So maybe he needs a bit of experience just to be comfortable and uh, perform well. I, mean, I think the, the type of high downforce track that Silverstone is, is one of the, I think it's the same thing as going to like a super speedway in NASCAR, like one of the real, the, the, the much larger tracks like Talladega or Daytona. The, the high downforce tracks in Formula One are kind of what almost define the sport at, at a type of pinnacle when the cars are, the, the effect of the design of those cars are, are running at their max potential through high-speed, tight corners like Silverstone. Which is unfortunate when we get these Tilka tracks like Baku that are just a bunch of right 90-degree yeah, angles right and angles. Then a DRS zone. <laughs> yeah. that's, how long is that Baku straight? Is it like a mile or oh, it's massive. close to a mile? Over a mile? It's over 1. a mile. 1.2, I, I thought? It's like two kilometers, Yeah, I think. two kilometers, yeah. Something like that. Something like that. So Kimmy's signed back with... Ferrari for another year. Oh man, yeah. And I heard, I think I heard it on Sky, that Ferrari 
are waiting for Hamilton's Mercedes contract to get over because they want what? a big name next to Vettel. Yeah, but his his contract is running out in at the end of 2018. 2018, yeah. So that's two years that they have to... Uh, two years of mm. Raikkonen. So I, I don't know what they're <laughs> going to do next. Exactly. And I... He, I feel sorry for him because he was a really good driver, but he's just not doing well in that car, and I don't know why. Hey, he just he just took Vettel's spot in the drivers' championship third. But that's true. That's true. After he signs his two-year contract, but yeah, he he does. Uh, do you think that this is just what Kimi Raikkonen's max performance is? Is he's totally interested, or he's disinterested, or, or what his deal is? I think he's interested. He's just probably reserved. <laughs> out in public I th I still think that it's the wrong move to keep Reagan I think it's wrong they should have hired someone else though here's the thing we're moving in 2017 to high downforce cars yeah he was one of the drivers back in the V10 era that knows you know what the potential is of that so maybe they're using him to develop that car yeah but then you've got Vettel who also knows high downforce I mean Red Bull, yeah, sure. Yeah, and he, he also drove for BMW in 2007 as a test driver. Mm -hmm. So he still knows the old cars, and he's a great great driver and a great developer. Um, Did the Toro Rosso he drove, was that a V10 car or was that a V8 no, car? No, V8. Was it? Okay. I think that battle had a test or some testing sessions in the V10 car, but he only raced mm -hmm. V8s and now there was V6s. Yeah. So I I think that the argument for Raikkonen was that he's uh, he's got a good relation with Vettel, and mm. yeah, that pretty much sealed the deal. And I think that he got uh, he took on a, a pay cut, like they won't have to pay him that much uh, in the future, mm. I guess. Well, how long was his deal? Was it two years? Just one one more year. Yeah. Oh, was it one more year? Oh, yeah. Rosberg's was two. That's right. Or Rosberg's yeah. working on a two-year deal. Yep. Was that is that completed yet? I heard no. it was no. completed. Then I heard it was still on the table. No, no, still details to to manage. I mean the the just I, just I'm assuming just the he's going to get it. But if he doesn't, who else would they choose? They're not. I don't think they're going to put Wehrlein. No, in the he's car. too young. No, no, no. I, Mercedes I said that it's done, but the details. Well, they could put Wehrlein in the car and get just get a simple one-two dynamic. Honestly. Yeah, but that's not gonna, that's Wehrlein not going to work crash well. The car, though. If that's not going to work well, if Red Bull is closer. Because then you need two good drivers or to fight for the championship. Yeah. I still I guess, see where I mean, we don't two... know how it's going to all play out, you know, team by team for 2017. Yeah. Who's going to be where yet? Yeah, I, I think Rosberg is a done deal at Mercedes. Um, now that now that Raikkonen is at Ferrari, so um, yeah, it, it, I think it's going to be done. The contract is going to be announced within the next two races or something. I would going back to Ferrari. I would really have liked to see actually Jensen Button go to Ferrari. I think that would have been a good fit. Uh, yeah, but he's, what, 36 as well? Well, I mean, for a year? A year contract for Button? Yeah, but Button wouldn't do that. I don't think that he would. Why not? Oh, I mean... He's he, too quintessentially British right? to he's, go to an Italian he, team like that. I mean, he's... He's looking at Williams, right? That's clear. Everybody knows British, that. They're British, though. That, that's, what makes, that's, what makes it, that's what makes sense. And also being at... I think... <laughs> I think that being at Williams at that age is like a relaxed gig compared to being at Ferrari. <laughs> right. I mean, that's like a nice early retirement. Another okay. year in the circus, another year of, 
you know, uh, the greatest tracks. He, yeah. I mean, he's quoted. He doesn't. Williams are slipping back. I see it clearly. Yeah. They they didn't even point points finish in Silverstone. Zero, zero points in yep. Silverstone. Right. And he's he's quoted. He said it to Sky. I think if you watch the uh, F1 show where they go in front of all the fans at Silverstone. Yeah. He says he wants to be in a car, you know, looking at podiums next year, at least. If he's if that's not possible, he doesn't want to be in F1 anymore. Well, then he's not going to be in F1, I guess. <laughs> because. Um, hey, McLaren, we have our bet. McLaren's going to be up there. Yeah, we have that bet going on. So, uh, no, I think that Button is not going to be in a podium car anymore. Because Williams is not going to have a podium car next year. No. I guess. I mean, not. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't. I don't see it. I, they don't have the monetary reserves yeah. to invest. Totally. And now we've got five works teams, uh, mm. five big teams. So there's no spot for Williams to be up there. Do you think Renault's going to be have a good car next year? Um, I think they're going to have an okay car. It's not going to be a Red Bull, uh, no, quality no. chassis. But I think it's going to be. Honestly, I it could be as good as the Ferrari chassis. I could see that. Renault's too much of a wild card for me. I just there's so much, they could go so far in either direction. I mean, we even saw through Enstone Lotus have some competitive time periods. They're the most recent incarnation of what Lotus was. Haas team, uh, I think they did terribly this race too, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, no pace. Grosjean, Grosjean yeah. spun, but it looked like a spin. But then they came back and said and they retired the car. Said there's something wrong with the gearbox. Yeah. It's interesting to me that they did uh, kind of well in the earlier races. And now that I look back at um, something like, what what year was it that Jensen, very recently Jensen Button and Kevin Magnussen, weren't they both on the podium in Australia? 2014, uh, yeah. Right, it's not in the not-so-distant past. And then how much of a shitbox those cars ended up being. Was that the development over the time? Or no, that was the, the engine of those cars. So the race pace of these car, if you know, the the Haas team and the Renault team haven't really progressed um, d- different from one another. Where Renault has has a, a precedence for being in F1, winning championships in F1 within the last decade. Um, it's weird to see a team like Haas and a team like Renault in a similar type of situation where Renault basically bought a ch- or developed chassis where Haas is buying, you know, the, the, a lot of the pieces to put them together short of Haas having manufacturing defects and issues. And then, okay. So the gearbox is a technical issue. Is the Ferrari gearbox? Uh, yeah. Um, it, these two teams, the contrast between the two and the, it's, it's really, it's, yeah, that's why I just, I can't, I can't figure where Renault might be because it's the, it's the, it's the same thing with the, with, Williams and Manor and other teams is trying to figure out what who, who who are the people there? What are the personnel that are going to make the effects that are going to make these teams competitive? And within Haas, they're so young, and the, the Renault team, I think it's hard to identify these attributes just yet. So not necessarily competitiveness, but Ron Dennis has said, and I believe him fully, that you cannot win a championship with a constructor uh, customer engine um i'm not sure i think that red bull could when was the last time it happened well i think red bull i think red bull 
will be able to yes yeah the last time it happened that must have been um i think well we could kind of classify red bull as a customer of renault right in the 2010 and yeah but was renault in well they weren't yet wait 2010 kind of were yeah was how big was their involvement though in f1 Mm -hmm. tiny I mean, they sold the team by that point, and um, like they were, they were exiting for sure. So I mean, I wouldn't say exiting, but they were just idling, right? They mm-hmm. didn't do much; they just coasted off the development they had. Basically, where the primary investment was going is there still was the team that won the race, though. So they weren't a primary investment for their company in regard to a manufacturing team during that season. So I, I think that Ron Dennis's argument is coming from Ron Dennis at a place where you've turned your back on the, the engine manufacturer that's winning the World Constructors Championship. And now you've gone from regularly podiuming, podiuming back to, you know, the fighting for Q3. He has to say that. Ron Dennis has to say that. I don't even know if I believe Ron Dennis believes that. <laughs> the argument against it is the modern era because next year... Uh, easily the modern Red Bull could take take the Renault team as it stands right now. Absolutely. And, at, you know, whenever... Uh, 2010 was Mercedes' first year, maybe? Um, coming from... Uh, um, Braun? Yeah. McLaren might have been able to take them that entry year. But I think that what Ron Dennis is saying is that when you're fighting against a works team that develops your engine you you can't expect to win based off of engine power right ever. Yeah. so any little development they would come up with it would take a while for that to matriculate to your engine whether it's a grand prix a, a, a quarter a season whatever it is and you would be constantly in combat with your own engine trying to come up with yeah there's there's a there's a nuance to what he's saying that makes sense, but it's it's the only reason he's saying it is because his engines now suck so bad compared to the engines he had. And even if you get that upgrade at the same time at the same race, the works team is still gonna have that data of testing over your your head. Yeah, you yeah. didn't develop it. You don't know what it's gonna do, how it's gonna change mm-hmm. things. They've already got it prepackaged, developed, tested, which would that's what they're supposed to do by the contract before you get it to your car, yeah, before you even start working with it. And the development time makes a huge difference just from even showing up to FP1 to the race, even in one weekend. Nico Rosberg fined 10 seconds to his overall pace. Right, yeah. Red Bull with Verstappen had been planning on that from, I think, about the eighth or... or as, soon as, it was, as, as soon as it was called, they kept Verstappen out too, not to try to track down any more pace expecting you know yeah they i think christian horner said if he would have pitted he would have lost 18 seconds hold for stack where he is and that's what put him in so rossberg lost an additional three points uh yeah 18 yeah three points yeah hmm. and so now Ham- and lewis yeah hamilton is yeah one point yeah. behind rossberg in the championship yeah just what i wanted to say yeah one point i mean that's he really caught up massively in a short amount of time right it, it was at 43 points at some point the gap i think Mm. At like yeah. nearly two race wins, and now it's one point. So, um, 
yeah and we still got what half the races half no 10 races to go 11 races to go i think we're at race 10 so that was the 10th round yes yeah, 11. 11 races to go so the championship is wide open again i guess how many penalties do you expect him getting for a new engines one just one penalty just one he will wait also until he fucks up in qualifying or something ruins the qualifying session. Uh, I think, he's, I think he's, to the race. he's gonna wait for like Monza or something or a track where he can be second or third he's, uh, despite a penalty. Sec- uh, what is the penalty? Do you yeah, know I can what the see him, I him working through the grid and yeah. uh, Monza. And he also Hamilton said something like taking, uh, yeah. he might even take two new engines, like take a double penalty in one weekend, okay. just to be on the safe side. No, that makes can sense. Can he? Yeah. He can do that. He can. He can. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they didn't. Can. He. When was it? I thought That's he worked. I think it was Monza. He he started from like the pit lane or something for whatever reason, and then worked his way up to the podium. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. Uh, I can't remember what track it was, but something like that happened. Yeah, and the Mercedes. Yeah, if they find the right track. Um, the Mercedes is fast enough to be on the podium, I think. So yeah, they spend um, a lot of time at wide open throttle. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're going to do the right thing. So that means that Rosberg is going to have that race won against Hamilton, but still, mm-hmm. that's one of eleven races. It's just how many points uh, is Hamilton going to lose? Exactly. If it, depending on where he finishes. Yeah. If it can keep you, well, it could be twenty-five know... points. It could be. Yeah. You know, five point. You know. What is an engine penalty? Do you guys know what an engine penalty is? Because I could I couldn't find it. What the actual ten places? Yeah, ten. Ten grid spots per engine. Well, it's only his what MGUH. Yeah, he's MG MGUK and he's got to be on his last turbo. And I think that he still has one turbo. Five turbos. Okay, five turbos. I think he used five of them. I think anyway, he's, he's still at the fourth tur- turbo, and he is at the fifth MGH now or something. Or yeah, I think, in Aust- I think in Austria he took a turbo. Anyway, he's yeah, but he's um. So it's it's ten grid spots for the next time he has to change whatever one of these components that it is that validates an engine change to the FIA. Yeah, definitely more interesting than I thought. I mean, I I had to fear that Rosberg would just run away, <laughs> or just uh, manage the gap now to Hamilton in a championship, but it's close now. And I kind of could see Hamilton being on the upside now, being really motivated and just having the mental strength to uh, drive Rosberg nuts. So at my apartment complex, there's this lady that walks around with a cat on a leash. And I don't get it. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now out my window. A cat on so a listen. leash. A cat does on the, a leash. It doesn't make does sense. Does the cat? Does the cat? Should I sneak some like, video? <laughs> please do. She she might. Oh no, she's looking up here. Hang on. I'm gonna sneak some sneak some video. Does I'll the cat picture. Pro- progress ahead picture. like like a dog, or does the cat act like a cat would act? On a it leash? it acts like a cat. So the cat's just like meandering around, and she's just like. I don't know, like following it, doing weird stuff. I don't know. That's so I strange. Saw a woman, it's really I weird. S- I saw a woman walking a cat one day like that, 
but the novelty of the cat was taken away by the fact that there was, she was walking a, like a small pig next to the cat, and they were but they were both walking <laughs> like, but they were both walking like dogs. Like this woman clearly trains these animals to behave like a anyway to progress like you would see an animal on a leash that makes sense in public. It's not just like some woman's like, I want to take my I don't I don't know. So do you? I guess you you see this person a lot, Tim. Uh, a couple times, yeah, like a month, maybe. Is it so going going back to your pig and cat? We could turn that into a game show: North Carolina or New York. Could be either one. 